Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Our reading for today is taken from Mark chapter 10, from verses 35 to 45. Mark chapter 10, from verses 35 to 45. I read. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want to do? What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must become a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Tedu. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see us all. And um, um, for those who are coming for the first time, for those who haven't been here in a while, for those who are returning, It's nice to have you here. We started a new series last week, and it's on leadership and followership. I think those two things are really vital in what it means to be human, how society is organized, how we live our lives. And so we've seen these as really important. So we want to take three sermons on leadership and the other three on followership. I think I should start this way. You know, it's really difficult. If you went to England, for, uh, for instance, most people know what it is to be English. Now, now I think it's a little bit, it's a little bit uh, overplayed because you have those in the north, you have those in the south. They, all, they speak slightly differently. But they all speak English, right? They speak English. They all like shepherd's pie, that dreadful thing. Um, so you can know an English person. You can know a French person in a way. But how do you identify Nigerians? How do you identify Nigerians? Is it by the color of our skin? We are very black, right? How is it because we are tall, um, more, we are taller than most? Well, West Africans are tall. Um, is it because we are loud? Okay. Yeah, yeah, we are loud. Okay, we are loud. I don't think there's anyone that's loud as well. But I think here's the thing. It's really by the things that we like. I think that's one way you do it. It's by the things that we what? Like. What do we like? One thing I think we like is titles. Titles. We love titles. 
um, intellectual titles, vocational titles, clerical titles. You know, that's right with acronyms. We love those ones, the acronyms. So, fine. You know, you, you couldn't read to get a PhD, but you, you still went to school and you studied law. So when you study law, he put PhD at the back of his, why? Olufemi Oshuni, ESQ, Esquire. I still don't know what it means, but it sounds very fancy. But you say, okay, no, I, I didn't read. I don't like those people that I read. But at least, if I can't read to get a title, I can travel somewhere to get an acronym title. So I'm going to travel to Jerusalem so that you say, Nanke Williams, J.P. Oh, that's what they now know. You see, the very important people. But the one that really gets to me is people, these people in accounting and consultancy, for some reason, you guys just want to do exams, exams, and exams. And you want to say, so you start with, today is SIMA. Then you now say, wait, wait, SIMA, ICANN, ACCA. Then those ones were not enough, so you now project management, PMP, PPC, PCC, PDD. What's next? But, you know, that's, I have to bring it a little bit home to religion. To religious because the religious will like and, and don't think it's just Christianity. No. I mean, for many is, uh, Muslims, it's not enough to be a chief. When you say Al-Haji, chief, Al-Haji and chief, Al-Haji chief something. But they don't do it like us. Um, Christians, we are, we are the best at this. <laughs> do you know that? I, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, there was something called budget padding. Who knows? Who remembers budget padding? Right? Budget padding is you pad the budget, like you enhance the budget. It helps you to make it a little bit more, you to meet your target, so you just, yeah, make it robust, so you pad. It is only in Christianity that I know, in the church, that the title misses is used for padding. Like, it's padding. I'll give you an example. So, some of you affectionately refer to me as Pastor Femi. That's great. It's good. Right? You understand. Now, imagine now um, Bia becomes a pastor. Bia becomes a pastor. Bia is married. If you say Pastor Bia, it's not the same. But when you say Pastor Mrs., you see, like, ah! even if, or if she now became a doctor and was Pastor Doctor Mrs. Bia, even if she says rubbish, it will be deep. Just by that time. But I have one more to go, one other category. And it's with, let's just say it's the political, is the political. The political class are obsessed with titles. But I have to say this, in this, Nigerians, we are respectable. We are. Because think about our wonderful president. How is our president referred to? Well, he is His Excellency, the President, Head of State, and Head of Government, Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. It's okay. It's fine. It's okay. I think that's good. I think that's respectable. I think that's honorable. But that's him. Well, you know, it reminds me of a guy called, and you know this was coming, some of you, Idi Amin. Idi Amin was um, the military dictator in Uganda, 
in, in, in the 70s, right? He came in by a coup d'etat. And let's just say it was a bit of a larger-than-life character. Now, you also see that in his titles. What was Idi Amin's title? Here he goes. His Excellency President for Life, Field Marshal Al-Haji Dr. Idi Amin Dada, VC, DSO, MC, CBE, Lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the sea, the conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general, and Uganda in particular. Let's not forget that he was also the uncrowned king of Scotland. <laughs> titles. What is our fascination with titles? I think titles usually indicate an elevated position. You've attained to some elevated position. And when you attain to that position, it indicates that you are a VIP. I'm not saying VIP in fellas without vagabonds in power. Like VIP very important person. Do you see it? That our leadership position, our title indicates a leadership position, but that position is tied to an identity. So how do we think about leadership positions? How do you think about it? For many of us, it's as I just described. We want to attain to leadership positions itself as an end goal. Why? Because it gives us benefits. Whereas Jesus is going to show us in this discussion, in this, uh, the, this discussion he had with his disciples, that occupying a leadership position is only the first step in realizing what leadership is truly all about. He'll show us that rather than simply aiming to be positional leaders, he wants us to be servant leaders because leadership is about service rather than positions. So we'll be looking at the servant leader, this topic, under three headings. Misunderstanding leadership, clarifying leadership, and redeeming leadership. Misunderstanding leadership, clarifying leadership, and redeeming leadership. Let's start. First one. Misunderstanding leadership. Has any of you here been asked a question like this? So Muiwa, your younger brother comes to you, and he says, Muiwa, I want to ask you some, for something but you have to promise me that you'll give me. He hasn't asked the thing, no. But you have to promise. How many of us have received that kind of question? Okay, how many of us have asked that kind of question? That's, that's more reflective, exactly. Now, usually you react in one way. First of all, you never say yes. But second, you're already suspicious about what the person is going to ask you. But then you're intrigued. And so you ask, what is it? You just tell me. Well, Jesus found himself in that situation here in verse 35 and verse 36. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Don't ask him, but they want him to do it. And Jesus' answer, just like us, we want to know what it is. So Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? That's a very dangerous question. A very deep question. So deep that it reminds me of um, Aladdin. You know Aladdin? Right? Aladdin, the Arabian Nights tale. But let's think of that. There are many different versions, but let's just talk about the Disney version, the 92 version, right? Who is Aladdin? What's the story about? Well, Aladdin was this street urchin, right, who 
you will never believe this. Fell in love with the Sultan's daughter. Like, guy, get a life. It's never going to happen. That's above your pay grade. But he did. He fell in love with her. But luckily for him, he found a genie's lamp. A genie was this mythical figure that could you know, uh, bring your wishes to pass. But if you discover this lamp, he had to give you three wishes. So he becomes your slave, but he has to give you three wishes. So how did Aladdin use his three wishes? Well, first wish, um, he wished to become a prince so that he could legally marry Princess Jasmine. Second, he wished to be spared from death, having been thrown into the ocean or the sea, shackled you know, with his hands and his legs, and he was gagged by, in his mouth. All right, that's good, not bad. And then the third wish, well, the third wish, he wished for the genie to become free. Remember, the genie was his slave, and he wished for the genie to become free. How nice. What did this show us? Well, each of those wishes showed us a particular heart condition that Aladdin possessed. The first one, when he wished to marry the princess, first revealed that his heart was self-serving. The second one, when he was dying, revealed that it was much more self-preserving. Self-serving, self-preserving. The third one, which is really the point of the story, because Aladdin is now transformed, the third was other-serving. So the answer, how he used the wishes, revealed the condition of his heart. But that was to a genie. And that was mythical. That's a fiction. This one is historical. And this is not just a genie. The person who is asking them the question, the person who probably is asking you this question, is the creator of the universe, is the one with unlimited power. And so he asks you, what do you want me to do for you? I suppose some of us would probably say, you know, when we ask that kind of question, what do you want me to do for you? Like sometimes I just see my wife and I say, wow, you're so gorgeous. What do you want, even if it is half of my kid? Um, so just quick aside, if you are not married, young men, don't ask that question. <laughs> just say. So I would probably say, $2 million. You know, impossible. $2 million. So I'm like, why didn't I ask for five? <laughs> what would you ask? Because it will reveal the condition of your heart. Well, the disciples said, they wanted to sit down. That's what, that's what he says. He says, they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other on your, at your, on your left. Sit down. They needed a chair. As some of us understand this, it reminds me of a guy called Faust, the bad guy. Faust, the bad guy, attended an interview. And you know in interviews how it is. Why do you want to work for this organization? What inspired you about this organization? What are you going to bring to this organization? You know all those, those mindless questions that nobody, they've not changed for the last 10 years. And then you get to that one that, sorry, Tyro, you HR people, you need to up your game. You just need to up it. Then you now get to that one that you know it's coming, but you never prepare for. What is your, the, the goal of your career? So they asked um, Faust, what is the goal of your career? And Faust thought about it. Well, okay, well, if you ask me, I won't lie to you. The goal of my career, I just want to be a chairman. <laughs> so chairman, that's all. Like, you know, like Otedola, like Jagaban. He just wanted to be a chairman. In other words, he needed also a chair. They wanted to sit down. One on his right, 
one on his left. But we understand that the chair is more than that. It's a place of honor. It's a place of honor. They wanted something for themselves. Their heart condition was revealed to be absolutely self-serving. It was self-serving. And the other 10, as we see in verse 41, heard, they were indignant. How dare you, Hanatu? With all the children that are dying in Jerusalem, with all the children that are dying in Lagos, we don't have world peace. Why couldn't you ask for world peace? They were indignant with moral outrage. Is that why? No, they were indignant because they didn't think about the question first. And I'm serious, it's not a joke. Because later in verse 42 and verse 43, Jesus is not saying to them, you should think like the other 10, James and John, you should think like the other 10. No, he reprimands all of them. Because it revealed what was inside their own heart as well. And so when they were indignant, it was out of envy, it was out of jealousy, and it starts to bring division. Why was the answer so bad? Well, I put it in one sentence, because I want us to go a little bit deeper into it. Is this. It showed self-centeredness that's expressed as entitlement and results in delusion. It's expressed, self-centeredness, expressed in entitlement, but resulting in delusion. So I want us to talk about the entitlement and delusion. Entitlement. Now, don't forget, the position was to sit on the right and left. These were positions of honor. If they sat down on the right and the left of Jesus in glory, it meant that they had a position of honor with Jesus. So once they sit down there, people would revere them, and they would demand things from them. They would have to serve them. What do I mean? Um, do you know how, um, how do I put this? You get into a place of honor. And someone talks to you rudely, but they don't know truly who you are. What is our normal response as Nigerians? Do you understand? Because you know who you are. I'm not singing, but I am walking in power. And I am walking in miracles. The position was to get there so that people would revere them. You see, it was about a position in the kingdom of God. Remember, it says, in your glory. So it's the culmination of the kingdom of Christ, in your glory. I want to sit on your right and your left. In other words, saying, it's good that all of us, all the disciples, and many people will, you know, will all get to heaven, will get to the kingdom. It's fine, fantastic. But even in the kingdom, I know be your mate. That's what it meant. Like, we are going to have levels. There will be levels. And so people that are not sitting, that are all standing, will revere them. And because of this, their newfound authority, they will have to serve them. That's why Jesus reprimanded them for saying, the rulers of, this gen of the Gentiles, they rule in this way. Because they have authority, they use it to lord it over people. That lording over people means to dominate people for them to, do, uh, to dominate people so that they can give you what you want. So the first thing, is that they feel entitled by that answer. They feel, they, they feel entitled to people serving them who are beneath them. Do you understand? The second, though, is notice 
Who did they ask that request from? Who did they ask from? Who did they ask that request to sit down from? Who? Jesus, right? Who was Jesus to them? Their master. In other words, they did not only want to be served by the people at the bottom, they wanted to be served by people at the top. They wanted both Jesus to serve them and for the people at the bottom to serve them. In other words, their mindset, this entitlement mindset, makes you want to receive favors from the orgas at the top, but to get reverence and service from the people that are at the bottom. Do you understand that? Never to serve any, but always to be served. In other words, they were both terrible followers and terrible potential leaders. Because the center of their universe was around them. And we see it that way, don't we, in our own lives. When it comes to government, the elected officials, that, the elected officials who are above us, we always want them to do what? Do what we are asking for. Do what we are asking for. The people at the top serve us. But when we then meet the civil servants outside, we also want them to what? Serve us. It's the same thing in our organizations. This management, this management, they can't improve the lives. Oh, yeah, this, this place is too cold. This place is too hot. I'm not getting enough leave. They're not raising my salary. You want them, the management are terrible people. So workers unite against the management. But then in the next breath, your subordinate, you know, who you're the line manager to, you're not putting your shift. You didn't get me this thing. You didn't send me the email. So you want both the management and your subordinates to do what? Serve you. Can I bring it home a little bit? In church, as some of you are sitting down now, oh, this place is too cold. Why is Femi not addressing the coldness here? Right? The people that are here. The toilet is not this. The music is too loud. The music is too low. This guy, is, she's shining her teeth too much. Pastor, what are you doing? And at the same time, you look at the staff and you say, wait, my tithe is paying you. Why are you? Tell me, as the operations manager in this place, you should not be wearing jeans. It does my eyes something. Why are these chairs? These chairs are, these chairs are, are dirty. These chairs, you know, you want to be served by the pastor, but you also want to be served by the church staff. Do you see what an entitlement mentality breeds? If you want to be a leader that has, uh, you've been deluded into this self, ent this entitlement mentality, what is going to happen is you will never discern where your leadership is needed, and therefore you will never serve. Because it never places a demand on you, it always places the demand from others, whether they are the top or whether they are the bottom. Do we see it? The second thing is the issue of Oh, sorry, that was the entitlement. Sorry. The second is the issue of delusion. You see, Jesus is so kind. Jesus tries to deliver them from themselves, as he often tries to do to some of us here. And by doing that, he wanted to ask them a question. Because when they answered and said, let us sit here and sit there, Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking, no? verse 38. Can you drink the cup I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. In other words, Jesus was painting to them the cost of leadership. Ah, I will do it. I will follow you anywhere. Just give me that position. Just, Jesus said, do you really know what this thing costs? You see, he uses two metaphors 
one is the cup, the other one is baptism. And he's using them in negative terms, even though sometimes the cup can be referred in the Old Testament to something that is celebratory. But in this regard, Jesus is using it in a negative way because that's how it's mostly used. For instance, if you check Isaiah 51, verse 17, it says, Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, uh, from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath. Or Jeremiah 49, verse 12, this is what the Lord says. If those who do not deserve to drink the cup must drink it, why should you go unpunished? You will not go unpunished, you must drink it. So the cup was something absolutely negative. God's wrath, punishment. And the same thing, baptism, this is a little bit more difficult to interpret. But I think here he's talking, uh, Matthew 3 would help us, about this baptism he's talking about. John the Baptist says this about Jesus. I baptize you with water for repentance, you know, uh, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You know that song we used to sing back in the day? He will fill my heart to, today to overflow, right? At the end, it finishes with, with the Holy Ghost and I'm so Holy Ghost and fire. You see, uh, the younger ones are like, all right, so you want to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, but this is what John then says in verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Uh, when you want to pray that prayer and sing that song, pray to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, not with fire. Because Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit or he will baptize with fire. You don't get the two together. And so when he's talking about the cup and he's talking about the baptism, he's speaking, both are trying to depict for him the judgment that comes on, him, on, on, on his life. But for us, his disciples, how you then exemplify that is he's showing that leadership often comes with suffering, and sacrifice. You sure you want that position? Let me tell you something. It will cost you. You will be accused. You will be rejected. You will be misunderstood. You will be underappreciated. Quite often people just say, ah, don't worry, I'll do it, G give you that thing. Then all of a sudden, they're asking you to, to spend two hours extra. They're calling you. You're like, why are they calling me again? Why are they calling me again? It's the cost. It's the cost. And Jesus is saying, do you guys know what you're asking for? Here's what it is. But to show you how deluded they were, they did not know that they were in a leadership class with the leader of all leaders. Do you know what they thought they were? They thought they were in 2008 at Obama's campaign. Because their answer after that, when Jesus said, can you do it? Do you know what they said? Yes, we can. There, that's that nice. They were deluded. Verse 39. But there's even a more serious thing about this, this delusion. There's a deeper, I would say, more disturbing thing about it. Notice what they did not say. Incidentally, after Aladdin, there was another one, the second one, Return of Jafar. Right? Jafar was a terrible guy, just an aside. But Jafar, Jafar asked, Jafar eventually found the genie's lamp in part two. And Jafar, in his third wish, you know what he asked for? Do you know what he asked for? Now, don't forget, the genie is giving him the wish. Jafar asked the genie that he wanted to be the most powerful genie that ever lived. 
not only did he want to take his place, he wanted to overtake him, you know, because you will be better than your teachers, you know, that kind of, so Jafar believed it. So Jafar became the most powerful genie that ever lived, evil Jafar. Now that's how they trapped him, because if he became a genie, then he became trapped, he was now the slave. That's not what the disciples did. Their theology was straight. Remember they said, we want to sit on the right or on the left. Now in those days, if you were a teacher, right, a prominent teacher, it would be you and your disciples, but your most trusted disciple, the lieutenant, would stay on the right. And then the second most trusted would be on the left. So what they were saying is that, look, in glory, it's you, Jesus. You are the center. Just let's be on the right, on the left. They were not trying to be like Jafar. They didn't say, we want to be in the center. They said, you should be. But we want to be on the right, on the left. But do you see what was despicable about that? They were trying to honor themselves while they were trying to honor Jesus. It could even be worse. They were trying to honor themselves through honoring Jesus. Far too often, our self-centeredness is actually mixed with our worship. Our idolatry, our doing good, is actually mixed with self-reference. In other words, we do good so that people can glorify us. You know how that thing is now. You see, Aleri. Aleri. Wow, look at you today. You're looking so nice. See, it's not me. It's the glory of God upon me. She's put it to the glory of God, but it is so hard. You know, this thing, I'm sorry if you do it, if you feel offended, I'm sorry. Some of you people that have Instagram, I still don't understand this thing. I want to quote a Bible verse. You now go and stand, you'll have made, done all the makeup, and then you now put a verse there. Like, no, I'm only just giving the glory to Jesus. Blessed are those who are this, 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 and then you're shining. Blessed are those who are meek. Meek. And then you're, you're shining. Because we know the attention is not to the text. The attention is to the picture. We honor ourselves while honoring Jesus. We want to honor ourselves by honoring Jesus. What a delusion. And the danger for some of us who serve in ministry, I can't tell you, and I have to say, I am very ashamed that many times I have to be repenting of this. Very ashamed. You are serving, you are serving the Lord. People are giving you honor, and you love it. So I'm asking you, is your philanthropy, is your mentoring, is your connecting people really about you, or is it about Jesus' glory? Or are you seeking the glory, sorry, let me ask you this, is it Jesus' glory you are seeking or the glory you get for displaying Jesus' glory? Be aware of how self-service and worship can be blended together, or even worse, how self-service is masked as worship. We do good for people, and yet what we are looking for is that acknowledgement. You donate to something, and you are wondering why they haven't called you to thank you for that donation. It's still a very delusional form of self-service. Amen? That takes me to the second point, clarifying leadership. So Jesus steps in. I should ask God, how do we know someone that is great? How do we consider greatness? 
I think there are two ways we usually consider greatness. Take one is ability, the other one is position. Take Michael Jordan, for instance, right? Who knows Michael Jordan here? Who doesn't know Michael Jordan? If you don't know Michael Jordan, don't raise up your hand. Because that would be shameful. What you need to do is go back home, go to YouTube, and put Michael Jordan inside. The greatest of all time. Forget any LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, just forget it. Michael Jeffrey Jordan was the greatest. Like, these guys, he did things in, with basketball that just got people like insane. Imagine a president, when Michael Jordan retired the first time, imagine giving a speech on economics and the president said, I have one more thing to say. Michael Jordan, please come back. Imagine you're that great. The guy's ability was what we identified. So when you saw Michael Jordan, you're like, he's great. Why? Because of what he did. That's one way we identify greatness. Another way we identify greatness is not by ability, but it is by the, how we esteem a particular position, the office or a particular position. So take, for instance, if the President of the United States came in here today, whether you like him or not, there is a certain reverence you give, not necessarily because of the person, but because of the office that he occupies. It's a great office, and that's how he becomes great. But Jesus is going to tell us another way of being great. He says it in verse 33 and verse 34. He says, whoever wants to become great among you, most must he do, he must be your servant. What? And in case you didn't understand the point, he puts a further emphasis by using another metaphor. We talk about greatness, but you also talk about first. I don't know how you want, everybody wanted to be first, first in rank, first in line. He says, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. This thing is because we live in the 21st century that is not shocking to our ears. This is absolutely shocking. And I'm telling you, you cannot find this in any philosophical, any ancient philosophical thought, any ancient religion, to say that the person we should compare ourselves with when we are trying to compare greatness or first is the person that is the lowest in the society. Slave, uh, servants were the second lowest in the society. Slaves were the lowest of the low. And he says that's how you should, you should lead. What's he saying? And in fact, it was the phrase that started verse 33 I want us to even look at. He says, instead, whoever, sorry, not so with you, when you talked about the rulers of the Gentiles. He said, the way they lord their own authority, it's not so with you. Now, don't mistake that to mean that he's saying, it, is, it shall not be this way among you. He wasn't pointing to the future. What he was saying is that it is not this way among you. He was describing a present reality. This was not an admonition. It was a description. He was saying, this is how the kingdom of the world does it, as we identify. But in my kingdom, which is already here, this is the way, and you guys are part of it, this is the way it is. That the great one is the servant. The first one is the slave. If you want to be a leader like me, that's what you should do. And you can have people scratching their heads. What is he talking about? And I actually think a lot of people have misunderstood this. So let me tell you what it isn't. I don't think the Bible says that as people we should not aspire for leadership positions. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Because Paul in 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 says this, that whoever, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires 
to be an overseer desires a noble task. An overseer is the pastor or the elder. If you desire, if it's right, you said if you aspire to it, it's a noble task. So he's not saying you can't aspire. And I've told many people, some people that I've met in this church, or someone that came to me and was talking about the aspiration to be a CEO, a group CEO, global blah, blah, but they felt guilt because they don't think that is good servant leadership. Jesus doesn't want that. I no, 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 no. Don't misunderstand it. So it's not that we can't aspire to leadership positions. Second thing, it's not that we cannot use authority. If it's that we can't use our authority or we can't possess authority, then this whole conversation doesn't make sense. Because Jesus is not telling them with this conversation that you should not have authority. He's saying there is a wrong use of authority and there is a right use of authority. Are we together? So if those two things are not what he's saying, then what is he saying? I think he's saying this. It, being a servant leader who is a slave of all is about a heart's disposition toward God and towards others. It's about a heart's disposition toward God and toward others. Let's look at both of them. Servant and slave of God. What this essentially means, I write it down, is that the fruit of your leadership is motivated by seeking to glorify God and not yourself. The fruit of your leadership is motivated by seeking to glorify God and not yourself. Let's not lie. Some of us here have done some wonderful things. I can remember when I was in Unilag, I wasn't the best person in my class. I wasn't. But there was one particular course. It was very, very difficult, EG501. I can't forget it. Very difficult. And they were teaching us some stuff, Newton Raphson, blah, blah. And for some reason, you know when somebody's talking and everything is just making sense? Like you can get it and nobody else was getting it. And so we had this test. Like 200 of us had this test. And when we had this test, he said the question there. And I remember opening it and looking at it. And I started writing, writing. And all of a sudden, it was like the Red Sea was parting. You know, everything was just falling in place. Falling. I remember when I finished, I did the answer. I did like this. Sha, sha. You know that? Sha, sha. So I finished it, walked out, step to kill. You know, and my friends, everybody was just complaining. It was tough. It was tough. I said, let me not talk. Oh. So I now kept quiet. Result came out. People were failing left, right. It was over 60. People were failing left, right, and center. But your guy, I got, you know what I got? 60 over 60. I was a G for two months. Like, I was walking on water. I was like, you, you know when you're walking, you're like, that was year three. No, year, no it was year, year five. It was year five. In fact, I later heard two years after, two years after, one of my juniors, she's now in year five, they were using my, my script and they were photocopying it. And this was the legend. They said, ah, this guy, you know, he finished with a first class. <laughs> it's not really like that, but you know, I had a first class brain, you know. Have you ever done something like that before where, you, you know, you finished it, and then you, you have to glorify in it. You know what I'm talking about. Are you, okay, I'll give you an example. Watch an example. For some of us that watch football, this is taken from the 2014 final. You have a Champions League final. It's between two teams. This is the biggest competition in, in football competition in the world. Between two teams, one called Atletico Madrid, the other one's called Real Madrid. They're both from Madrid in Spain. So going through the, fin uh, the final, Atletico scored one. 
And they were leading till about the 89th, 90th minute. And then Real Madrid then equalized. Now, Real Madrid had one of the greatest players ever, the guy called Cristiano Ronaldo. But he didn't score. He didn't play that well. Um, but Real Madrid equalized by a Spanish defender at the last minute by a guy called Sergio Ramos. So because of that, at the end of the game, is 1-1. So you enter, they play for 90 minutes. So you now have to play 30 minutes extra time. Get into extra time. Then a Welsh guy called Gareth Bale then scored for Real Madrid. It was now 2-1. Then after that, a Brazilian called Marcelo now scored. It was 3-1. But Ronaldo still hadn't had his own. So he eventually gets a penalty. It's 4-1. He scores. And then he's going to celebrate with his teammates. So let's watch. Tripped by Juan Fran. Cristiano Ronaldo. 4-1. He adds to his record collection, 17 Champions League goals in a single season, an unprecedented haul. He's only failed to score in one Champions League match this season. 17 in just 11 games at the highest level of club competition. Forget the... But what he was saying was, Amy Ronaldo. <laughs> like, forget. Do you know what happened? You know what happened? Like, they all came and celebrated him. Like, all of you just go away. It's me. Look at my physique. Look at my prowess. Why shouldn't I celebrate with all this glory? <laughs> if Sergio Ramos did not equalize, will he have been celebrating like this? If Gareth Bell did not score the second goal, he would have been crying at home. When Marcelo scored the third goal, we all knew it was over. His goal was the most insignificant goal there. But yet he had to celebrate. It was all about his glory. This is what the delusion does sometimes. When you have done that thing, whose glory was it that you were motivated by? A Christian, a servant leader, is motivated by God. A servant leader says this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. That is all you do. All the things that you achieve eventually is for one audience. The audience of one. Why? Because we know he is the one that has given us the ability to do whatever. So you prayed for somebody and they got healed. But never ever forget Exodus 15 verse 26. I am the Lord who heals you. So you were able to make some wealth with your life by working hard. Never ever forget. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. That's why Paul summarizes it like this in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 4. What is it that you have that you did not receive? That you are glorying as though it was you. A servant leader always is motivated to glorify God with what they achieve. Why? Because they remember that it was God that gave them the ability and they are meant to do it to glorify the source, not the person who has been given. Amen? Well, the second thing is this. is the servant and slave of others. What this essentially means is that the fruit of your leadership is intention to benefit others and not primarily yourself. The fruit of your leadership is intention to benefit others and not primarily yourself. Most people, you know, the, the, a, a healthy relationship between leaders and followers is built on trust. 
is built on trust. But sometimes I think we misunderstand what that trust is. Many people will think that it is trusting that the leaders will do whatever we want them to do. And that's actually not what that, the trust is. I actually think it's something else. It is trusting whether the leaders have your welfare at the center of their heart. Do they really care about your welfare? Many people will forgive a leader who doesn't actually deliver on all the things they want to do, knowing that they cared about them. The problem we have many times is this. Once that trust is broken, then they will say, we don't care what your motivation is because we don't think you care about us. Just do what we want you to do. That's what they want. Why we are so angry with many times our political leaders is not that they failed, is that we feel that they enrich themselves because they didn't care about us. I don't know. I recently heard. I don't know whether this is true, but I'm just going to tell you how it is. An incoming governor of a particular state recently said, talk about reverse. I'm going to tell you about reverse tithing now. He recently said the reason why they noticed that things were not moving forward in the state because there were lots of contracts that were awarded. They said whenever a contract, he was talking about the previous administration, whenever a contract is awarded, you know how the money is split? 50% goes to the governor, 30% goes to the ones who appointed the contractor, 10% goes to the governor's wife. What is left? 10%. The rule in that state was that when you get a contract, you reverse tithe for the contract. When people hear that, they not just see that the things were not being done. What they say is that this person did not care about us. Imagine if our leaders were motivated by servant leadership. It would be that the care of the people is what is at your heart. And so even when you don't have all the resources, you are innovating to try to serve the people. People will know whether you care if when you serve them, you are serving what helps them. You are serving what benefits them. You are serving what develops them. You are serving what secures them. You are serving what comforts them. What kind of leader do you want to be? The kind that just wants to glorify yourself and at the same time wants to enrich yourself. Whenever you want to enrich yourself, whenever self-centeredness is at the heart of your leadership, the welfare of the followers becomes an afterthought. Whereas Jesus is calling us to something greater. Do the best you can with all the things that you have been given and make sure that the improving the welfare of your followers is what is at the heart of it whilst you bring glory to God. Amen? And that brings me to a final point. And Jesus is going to really go further now. One of the things we've seen is that he's saying, okay, fine. This is what servant leadership is about, giving to others, glorifying God. And here's the opposite. The opposite is serving yourself and taking from people. So Jesus is saying, listen, this leadership I'm talking about in verse 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve Services at the, at the center of it, and give. The opposite is serve me and take. He's saying this one is serve them and give, or serve them through giving. And he demonstrated this. He said, that's why the Son of Man came. What was he talking about? Because he said he gave his life. 
Now, this son of man is really a divine, a way of, most times we read the Bible, we hear son of man, we say that refers to Jesus' humanity, son of God, that refers to his divinity. Most times it's actually the other way around. Son of man refers to his divinity, son of God refers to his humanity. So son of God was usually the Davidic king. If you're a king in David's line, you are the son of God, the adopted son of God. But the son of man is referring to this divine figure that was with the ancient of days in Daniel chapter 7. This is how Jesus referred to himself. So he says, I am going to demonstrate what I'm talking about, not by just talking. Jesus is not the kind of leader that keeps telling you, do, do as I say, but not as I do. He says, because this is why I came. So now some of us are thinking, so you are telling me that Jesus is my standard. I should go and do likewise. Jesus is my standard. Ah. Some are, we'll be divided into two camps on that. Some people are saying, if Jesus is my standard, then it is unrealistic, and I'm just not going to care. Because I can't reach Jesus, so I might as well just do it the way I want. Some of you are going to say, if Jesus is the standard, I have been trying, I'm trying, but I will always fail. It will be overwhelming for me. So you either ignore the commandments, or you are overwhelmed by it. If this is you, can I say this? You've totally missed the point. You feel powerless because to live out this leadership because you've missed the point. Notice what he says. His death is not first and foremost an example for you to follow. His death was a ransom that was paid. For the Son of Man came, did not come to himself, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's he talking about here? I don't want us to miss it because something happened before he got here that makes people miss it. All right, what chapter comes before Mark chapter 10? Brilliant people. What chapter comes before Mark chapter 9? Well, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is talking with his disciples in verse 31. Do you know what he tells his disciples? He says, this is the first time he speaks about his death. He says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and three days after, he must rise again. Do you know what they did with that? Do you know what they did with that information? They ignored it, like... What does he say? You know, our master, he says a lot of deep things. Let's forget about that. So Jesus goes to chapter 9. You know what he says? I'll tell them again. So this is what he says. He said to them, 9 verse 31, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Do you know what they did with that? They ignored it again. And so this discussion is set within a context where he does it the third time. Remember, he started, he said, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. What is the then? Something just happened before the then. Now we're in chapter 10. Read verse 33 and 34 that just come before this. What did he say? We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and he will, be, and he will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise again. Do you know what they did with that information? When we get in glory, can we sit on your right or on your left? Three times he spoke to them about the gospel, and they still did not take it in. Why? Because they had a problem that you and I also have. We often forget the gospel. 
And so it bears repeating over and over and over again. And so sometimes we say, no, I understand the gospel, I understand the gospel. But now they're talking about servant leadership. You're not like, oh, you know what I should do? Maybe, oh, servant leadership, I should be a good leader, I should be a good leader. Because if I'm a good leader, this is what is going to save me. You miss the point. If you think like that, you will become powerless. You will either ignore it or it will overwhelm you. You are not meant to be saved by your leadership. You are saved unto your leadership. What is all of this about? Jesus is saying, through my own leadership, I gave you something unique. Through my leadership, I gave you my life so that you who are dead in trespasses and sins, you could receive my life and you can live again. And it is on account of that he then gives you the power. You see, if you take the other approach and say, by my good servant leadership, this is what would justify me before God, You'll be left in bondage, and people who are in bondage are powerless people. That's why you feel like that. But power, freedom, power comes with freedom. If you see that I am not justified, I am not made whole because of my leadership, but because of Jesus' leadership, now you have the freedom and therefore the power to go and do likewise. You are not justifying yourself with your leadership. You are not trying to be saved by your good leadership. You are saved by Jesus' good leadership so that you are now saved unto servant leadership. That's the power you need with the example. I'm going to close with how we live this example truly because Paul demonstrates this. Don't forget what Jesus says. This leadership is about giving my life so that you can live. My death, so that you can live. I gave my life, so that you may have life. And so when he calls us to lead, what he's saying is, what he's saying is, faith, what he's saying is, busy, give your life. Because there are people with dying conditions that if you invest in them, their dying conditions will live. Here's how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 10. 4 verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. And verse 12 is the clincher. clincher. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Leading well is like dying, but the reward of it is that life always comes. So what are you meant to do? You are now to work tirelessly to advise others, to correct others, to pray for others, to promote others, to connect others, to financially relieve others, to financially invest in others, mentor others, encourage others, give your life to others. Death in you, life in them. For the glory of God because of Christ's death. Imagine if you are that kind of leader. Imagine if I was that kind of leader. Imagine if our nation had those kinds of leaders. It would be transformed. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.